This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's podcast dedicated to the original and new adventures of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm your host, Zach Moore, and I'm your only host this week. This is a unique experience for me. I rarely podcast alone, so uh, <laughs> Ken, Ken did a few of these when, when I was out for a while, so this is my stab at it, and this one is uh, all about me, uh, so it <laughs> might be an easier subject to talk about since I'm the only one here. Uh, Ask Zach Anything is the uh, questionnaire that I put out on the Babel conference uh, not too long ago, and uh, you guys asked me some questions, and Star Trek, and well, mo- mostly Star Trek, as it should be, I guess. It's a Star Trek podcast, so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm just going to read them off here and respond to all your uh, your questions. Thank you, everyone who, who asked and participated, and hopefully I'm going to give you some answers you find uh, insightful and enjoyable. So Rebecca Skipper asked our first question. She had three questions, actually. Uh, Rebecca first says, which actor plays your favorite version of Kirk? TOS, Star Trek Continues, New Voyages, the Kelvin Timeline. And then her second question is, which is your favorite version of Spock? Um, the options I've mentioned. And we'll save her third one. Her third one's a little different than the first two. Now, the uh, the first two questions, um, favorite Kirk, favorite Spock, well, y- you can't go wrong with William Shatner and later Nimoy. They define the characters unlike... You know, unlike unlike characters like, you know, James Bond or Sherlock Holmes or characters like that where they originated in fiction and there have been many different interpretations of those characters over the years, you know, Superman, Batman, superheroes as well, because that's, you know, that, that's the modern mythology, right? Shatner and Nimoy originated these characters. You know, of course, they, they were from the written page you know, from uh, the scripts and whatnot, but, but it's, it's, like, uh, it's like Indiana Jones. You know, you can't think of anybody else playing Indiana Jones than Harrison Ford, and you can't think of anyone else playing Kirk and Spock than uh, Shatter Nimoy. Now, I say that, but I, I I do enjoy all the following performances. Uh, but it's a different it's a different mindset than a than a role. It's, you know, okay, look at the uh, like it's like plays too. You know, how many people played Hamlet? How many people have played uh, Ebenezer Scrooge? Right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for you know. Let's see, about 40 years, the only canon on screen, Kirk and Spock, were Shatner and Nimoy. And they defined those characters over a span. They played them, you know, consistently for 25 years, uh, then little pockets of here and there on and off. 
um, in between and after that. So yeah, you, you cannot, the answer to that question cannot be anything else but William Shatner's Kirk and Leonard Nimoy and Spock. Now, I will speak to the other interpretations of them, if 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 uh, if that's what you're interested in. I think that's what you're going for for the questions. I uh, I love Vic Minyaga as Kirk. He is the definitive non-Shatner Kirk. I think he has perfectly captured his mannerisms, his style of speech. It's such a fine line to walk when you're uh, channeling someone else's performance to not be a parody. And Shatner so easily parodied by by people his manner of speech uh, the way he, he carries himself all that stuff it's it's right for comedy and and you know that's why he's had such a successful career resurgence in, in his later years as a you know I, w- I won't say comedic actor but a, a dramedy actor you know i mean boston legal i mean he won emmy awards and uh, a commercial a commercial spokesman for for many products priceline of course being the number one so i um you you got to you got to give it to a, to Vic to be able to to channel that and not and then not be a joke. You know, that's that and that's really easy for that uh for that to happen. You can really easily slip into that. So he's my number 2, uh, number 3 after that, you got to go with Chris Pine. He plays a very different Kirk, obviously. It's a different timeline. The character's changed uh because his circumstances of his upbringing have changed. His youth has changed. He has no father around and that has has changed his entire character as we see in the first two movies of the Kelvin timeline. Now, uh that that was a very weak link for me, honestly, and not not really Chris Pine's performance. He did what he was supposed to do. Um but that wasn't Kirk, but that was the point, you know, so da 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 da. You get to beyond. He's he's awesome as Kirk. Kirk, that's the Kirk we all know and love and want. That's that's Captain Kirk right there, and uh, and that and that shows the great range. Chris Pine is an actor. He can play this kind of rebellious, um, dare I say, stereotypical Kirk uh, in the first two films. And then it comes a third one where he needs to be the mature captain. He can totally do it. And so Chris Pine there. Now as far as Star Trek: New Voyages, you got to give a lot of credit to James Callaway. He was the first guy to do it. You know, he he was the in Star Trek: New Voyages launched basically fan films as we knew them for well uh about 15 years i think um give or take um you know now, now we've we're in a new chapter of, of fan of fan films um based off cbs's guidelines and whatnot but uh yeah james Colley, you know he had the elvis hair right but he was an elvis impersonator so i'm not going to knock him for that i mean that that's that, that is what he did for a living and that gave him the funds to to do what we all want to do, right? Be Captain Kirk, live out the dream of of, of being uh, on the Enterprise and and wearing the uniform and and holding the props and doing going through the motions and all that. So so James Colley, you know, he he uh, he he forged a new path for, for fan films. So I got to give him a lot of credit there. And then Brian Brian Gross, uh, I didn't really, I, I I don't know how many episodes he was in as far as uh, Star Trek. Uh, new Voyages goes because uh, right they had had some. Um, they had had some delays, and then right when they really started to come back is when all the fan film stuff kind of went down. Um, yeah, so we didn't hear the big taste of him. He was just kind of finding his his feet in the role. Um, I believe he was like in two episodes of New Voyages and then uh, a short, a vignette. So we didn't really get a big taste of, of him as Kirk. And, you know, that was a recasting into itself, right, within a fan film because it was James Galloway for so long and then Brian Gross came in. So, um that that is how I would would uh, rank my Kirks, if if, <laughs> if you will. Now, uh, when it comes to Spock, um, my number two Spock, that's tough. Um, 
because again, Quinto's Spock is so different than the Spock that that we know. And again, that's because his background is different. You know, his mother has died, and these again, you got to remember the first two Kelvin timeline movies that they're younger versions of the characters than we have seen in TOS. Uh, and if you know, if you look at Spock in the cage, he's very emotional. You know, uh, where no man going, where no man has gone before. He's He's still like shouty Spock and kind of smiling at stuff, and 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 uh, and I love how they try to explain that in, in books and stuff. Otherwise, so um, I, I I will just because the, here's the thing: no one else who has played Spock because Spock's such a unique character. Uh, it's it's actually much much harder character to, to recapture lightning in a bottle than with Kirk. I think the the missing element to everyone else who's ever played Spock is his voice. I think uh, literally, literally boy had this great voice, you know, it's like more George Decay there, but he had this, this dark gravelly voice and it lent itself so well to, to voiceover. And that's why he did, you know, he did the voiceover work. He voiceover on transformers of all things. He was in, um, he was in the page masters, Dr. Jacqueline, Mr. Hyde. That's a little scene that if you guys know what I'm talking about, that scene really creeped me out as a kid. It was actually very scary, but, uh, no one else has done that. Even even Zachary Quinto, um, who who I who who I would if you know for having a, if or, that's what I'm doing here and to answer your question, I I'm ranking the Spocks and then Zachary Quinto would be number two for me. Um, the only thing he's missing is the voice. And yes, he has his emotional outburst, but that's I see a little bit of Silar in his uh, <laughs> from Heroes in, in his performances sometimes. But um, yeah, I would I would I would rank him uh, as second. Now after that. Um, Got to go with Todd Haberkorn as Spock from uh, Star Trek Continues. He, uh, uh, you know, the voice is the voice isn't quite there, and it's the, that's that's the way with all these guys, right? But the the presence, the mannerisms, the uh, the, the body language, you know, and I and I've said this uh, before about Star Trek Continues. If you squint, you know, and if you're in the other room, right, and you're far away, and you're just and you're just kind of vaguely looking at it or listening to it, you think you're watching Star Trek. You think you're watching last uh, lost episodes of Star Trek, and I really think. Uh, that he did a great job with that. That is that is a hard character because a lot of and and we'll get into this. I guess as I'm going down the list here, not to slight any of the actors, but I feel like a lot of the other actors they they play Spock more like Data, you know, and and Spock is more layered than that. Uh, and I I feel like uh, Todd Todd got that. He he found that he he found that balance. Now when it comes to uh, new voyages, uh, they actually had several Spocks. Um, the uh. First Spock being Jeff Quinn, and I, I I liked him the best. Maybe that's because he was there from the from the start. Uh, but I uh, I felt like he, um, and even visually, you know, I felt like he he looked the most like Spock. Um, so I, I he's my when I think of Star Trek: New Voyages, and I think of other characters because they they you know uh, they they had much like Kirk, you know, they had rec- most of the, most of the characters actually got recast over the over the many years that the that they did the show. I would say Jeff Quinn was the best of the lot there. Now, the, uh, to my knowledge, there were two other guys that played Spock on um, on New Voyages. Uh, one, Ben Tolpin, and then uh, secondly, Brandon Stacy. Uh, of those two, I, I would say Brandon Stacy um, because he was actually he looks a lot like Zachary Quinto. By the way, he uh, he uh, he was actually his his stand-in for uh, for the Kelvin Timeline movie. So it's a it's an interesting. Uh, Interesting way to uh, to find a to find a Spock right there, right? So it's, it's still in the, in the in the family, so to speak. Um, but he uh, he was also in a um, uh, played played a Romulan in uh, Star Trek uh, Star Trek 09. I believe he was part of he was part of Nero's crew. I believe as a as an extra, you know. Um, and and if I recall, and I'm just kind of this is off the top of my head here. I, I believe Will Wheaton did his 
did the ADR on his voice. So, uh, but <laughs> anyway, he 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 look, he's got the looks advantage because he looks like uh, Zachary Quinto there. And then lastly, Ben Tolpin. He wasn't in that many episodes as as Spock. Um, I believe I believe it was I believe it was only in Blood and Fire, uh, the two parter by David Gerald. So a very much like uh, Brian Grosch's Kirk, a very small sample size. So that those, that's my take. And then again, you know, when you get into the fan films, it's it's uh everybody it's they're all labors of love, right? I never like to be too too critical of, of any of anyone or, or or another actor and all that. And uh, I, they certainly ever all these people play better Kirks and Spocks than I certainly could. <laughs> so uh, so I give them credit there. So hopefully that that answers uh answers your questions there, Rebecca, about the um uh, my favorite Kirks and Spocks, and I've just ranked them all for you. Um. And then finally, she says, finally, how do you see Star Trek Discovery connecting to TOS now or in the feature thematically or otherwise? Well, that, that, is, a loaded, that is a loaded question uh, as far as, you know, um, thematically, you know, I think they're getting there. Uh, I, I, I must admit, I'm not, I'm not keeping up with the show on a week-by-week basis. Uh, I'm keeping tabs on the show, uh, the fan reaction and whatnot. I've not really um, worried about spoilers, so I, I do know everything that's going on, but I haven't, like, I don't sit and experience it every week like everybody else, like, on Sunday. Okay, it's Sunday. It just came out. Everybody watch it, you know, so I, I, I catch up with it during the week and whatnot, so I kind of I kind of miss the initial waves of initial fan reaction, and, and uh, that kind of helps me sometimes, too, because, you know, this is a uh, this is new ground for Star Trek, and uh, and but you know maybe in season two I'll get on the I'll get in on it as it as it happens. But for season one, I just kind of wanted to, well, kind of kind of take it take it on its own and not not get caught up in the in the highs or lows of fandom on the internet because it's so easy to get swept away, and uh, everybody's um, uh, strong initial for <laughs> for first impressions of, of every episode. But um, I uh, obviously they're working their way there. Um, they're a lot more. I mean, the mirror universe. Sorry, I didn't expect that. Uh, I mean, I John Frank said John Frank said mentioned that there was going to be a mirror universe episode, but I didn't realize it was going to be such a huge component um, to the uh, to the show in the first season. So that that's a huge deal there for as far as connecting to TOS. Obviously, you got characters like Mud and Sarek, and and they do a great job on the edge over there talking about all these connections to TOS. So. I don't know, like as far as connecting, you mean like like if you mean like bridging the gap between them, I I, I feel like they they could still do it. You know, we could we could meet. You know, um, there could be a, a season two. With, are they going to show the Enterprise? Right? You know, I mean <laughs> Spock, Kirk. You know, what, do we get another recasting? I assume they would recast everybody. Talking about new Kirk and Spocks, right? I mean, we have our third Sarek here. You know, I, they didn't use Ben Cross, or, or so they would. I don't I don't assume they would use Chris Pine or, or Zach Quinto, especially if they're if this is going to be in the prime timeline. So. Don't know what they would do in that in that regard. It, it's it's weird if it was like if this is a broadcast show, and it's like oh it's sweeps week. Let's bring in the Enterprise. Let's see you know Captain Pike right or something like that. But since it's a a streaming show, they don't operate on those same, um, you know the on the on that same way. You know like in um like Supergirl right season two they brought in uh, Superman in the season premiere, two-part season premiere of the Brian Superman, and also the season finale, and that's, like, a big deal. You know, it's like, oh, that, that gets people watching. You know, even people that were, were necessarily up with the show, they were like, oh, Superman's on? Let me watch. And I feel like if, if Discovery was on, you know, CBS or the CW, I'd be like, oh, man, the season premiere, the Enterprise is on? Okay, I'm going to watch no matter what, and that would bring in viewers. But since that's not the case, they are, they're doing a very interesting way of, like, bringing in, you know, fan service, but also, you know, upsetting a lot of the... <laughs> setting a lot of the, the same hardcore fans about all the continuity things too so um it's a real give and take with discovery so i, I uh, 
thematically it's it's it, it, it it's gonna get there it's the, it's the story wise timeline stuff i'm most interested in to see if they you know if they even get to that period of time because remember this is 10 years before um but they've already done some time jumping around so who knows what's gonna happen in that regard but but um it'll be very interesting to see i mean it's just like when enterprise first came out people are like how is this gonna fit and then you know you just you you, you wait and then the show takes its time and you, you zoom back and see the big picture and you find ways to fit it in just the same discovery, same with any new iteration of Trek. Um, wedging it in, t- but right before TOS was it's dangerous ground as far as fandom and and, uh, and continuity goes. But uh, but I'm interested to see how it all, especially as it keeps, uh, you know, as the seasons start piling up. Who knows? I mean, I doubt it'll run the whole ten seasons. I mean, who knows with these uh, Netflix uh, Netflix Netflix streaming show models? You know, shorter seasons. Um, as long as the actors are available, they're telling good stories and it's successful and popular. Let's keep seeing seasons, and eventually they will get into the 2260s if they keep this up. So we'll, uh, we shall see how how it uh, connects the TOS. So thank you, Rebecca, for those. And that was was a rather long answer there, but I feel like I, I go into death. You know, since I'm here by myself, I know that I gotta fill a certain amount of time. I don't, I don't want to blow through these questions and uh, <laughs> and give you guys a 15 minute episode. So I think we're already past that now. So I can I can kind of uh, speak with more brevity. If uh, if that is called for, we shall see. So uh, AJ Black, Tony, uh, host of uh, Printer of Culture, one of my favorite shows on network, by the way, Tony, um, and host of the Xcast, another one of my favorite podcasts. Asked me what kind of evil beard would Mirror Universe Zach support? Well, uh, as some of you guys who follow me on social media and seen some of my pictures have seen, I, I experimented with some facial hair at the end of last year, unsuccessfully. So I would, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've attempted, you know, it's not for everybody, guys. You know, so I, I have attempted to grow a beard a couple times. This was by far my most serious attempt in my life. Um, didn't, you know, it's patchy. Just didn't, it, you know, not everybody can be season two Riker, you know. So uh, I got to stick with the season one Riker look. It, it seems that way to me. So I'm hopefully uh, in the mirror universe, uh, I would be uh, less follically challenged and be able to grow a, a really nice, thick, awesome looking beard. Um, that would be really cool because uh, you know I, I I you know it's I, I would love to be able to just have a beard and just try it out for a while and I mean that's what I was doing but it didn't I wouldn't really call it a beard I would just call it facial hair so <laughs> hopefully my my universe self I would give a full but none of this goatee stuff I would go full beard in the mirror universe and really take advantage of it so uh, next question comes from uh, Bing Greet and he asked me what do you think about the episode bread and circuses and this is a great question uh, Ben I really enjoy this episode. I, I know that it is it is controversial. I didn't really realize, you know, you watch these episodes when you're younger, you're like, oh, okay, you take Star Trek as it is, and then you get into the greater fandom, and you're like, oh, people think this is weird, or people doesn't think this fit, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I can speak to, you know, being a Christian myself. Uh, I, I enjoy the messages of the episode. I'm like, oh, look, you know, they're talking about religion and Jesus in a way that is not uh, dismissive, you know? So I, I enjoy that, that aspect of the episode. At the same time, it's very subtle, and it's kind of a twist at the end. Like, they're not talking about the sun in the sky. They're talking about the son of God. So I, I really like that. And, uh, of course, it's one of these parallel Earth stories. So, uh, you know, what? I mean, season two is the season of the fill-in-the-blank Earth history planet, right? Uh, Hodgkin's Law of Parallel Development. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that, Star Trek. Um, I thought it was interesting to see a 20th century uh, Roman society. It's fascinating to see how they'd be on uh, using television to, to show gladiatorial matches. That's, that's of course, the natural evolution of that, if the Roman Empire had never fallen. Um, why hasn't it fallen yet? Well, there's been no Jesus yet. Could that be a factor? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're trying to say that in that episode or not, but uh, I, I really I really like that episode, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's a good one. It has a good message. 
and um yeah those those are my, those are my thoughts and i don't uh i think it, i don't think it contradicts anything star trek stands for because if if y'all recall uh we'll recall our uh and again <laughs> ken finner he would laugh at me i don't remember the episode uh, name or or no, I believe that episode name was the Gospel Corner of Star Trek. I don't remember the number, but it's when we interviewed author uh, Kevin C. Nice and we talked about uh, you know uh, how the concepts of organized religion and uh, Star Trek aren't aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. You know, a lot of people think they are um, because you know Christianity is also very humanitarian, and uh, there seems to be a separation sometimes between the two of them. And and uh, for for like because people are like well I, I can't. I can't really like this philosophy if I like this philosophy, and yeah, that's not that's not the case. And uh, I feel like maybe that's why a lot of people single out this episode. You know, it's like, oh, it's, that's the Christian episode. You know, that's oh, uh, I like it. You know, and that that that's me. And if you guys are uh, be interested to see what 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 do you think about it, Ben? Uh, I, I assume you have some kind of take on it since you asked me about it. Yeah, but that's that that's my take on it. It's a lot better than the uh, Patterns of Force, the Nazi episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh and then you know uh, and just uh, as as a story as a whole i, I did like the the, the uh, arc of uh merrick there he kind of re- he redeems himself at the end you know uh he had betrayed his crew and and for survival and um was you know really the last one left and and then saw how you know uh, kirk and spock and mcclure can be executed and and he gave his life at the end to uh to save his friends and 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 what what greater what is greater than a man who would lay down his life for his friends, right? So, uh, to tie a title all together, but yeah, that was a very uh, poignant end to that episode, I think, where he he, he calls the Enterprise and, and and they beam up right as the right as the guns are firing and uh, they escape. Merrick doesn't, unfortunately, but uh, he does redeem himself there at the end. So that that was a very uh, strong emotional ending to that episode. So, Tim Hans says, Zach, keep up the excellent job podcasting as always. My question for you. If you had the opportunity to pitch an idea for a new Star Trek series to the studio, what would it be? Same question applies to Ken while he's reading the comments while doing on location filling. Well, Ken, feel free to uh, to comment on this, I guess, in the comments when, when the show gets posted. But uh, as for me, uh, see, this is this is tough because I think the um, the window of opportunity has closed for all the shows I, I, I would have wanted to see that, that I immediately go to, right? I say an Excelsior show with George Takei, Sulu, Gracie Whitney, and all that stuff. That I would have loved to see an Excelsior show instead of Voyager or instead of Enterprise. And I say that instead of those two shows because that would have been the time to do it. Not necessarily like, let's erase these shows and use this one instead. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there was a limited window of opportunity. I mean, you look at like 1995, Star Trek coming to the 30th anniversary. They did, you know, uh, the flashback, the episode of Voyager was practically a, a backdoor pilot, you know, for, for an Excelsior show. Um, and then, you know, Enterprise was really your last window of opportunity, truly, because that's, you know, 2001. So you're getting really, it's 10 years after Star Trek six at that point. And in, in a perfect world, right, I, um, I, I would have, you know, pitched, you know, a, a show that takes place on the Excelsior after Star Trek six. You literally open it up with, you know, much like Deep Space Nine, its premiere opened up with the Battle of Wolf 359. Uh, you open up Excelsior with the Battle of Kittimer. You know, and saving the president and all that, and the, the ships they say goodbye, you know, to Kirk and the Enterprise, and then you know, Sue, you know, Sue and the accessor go off, and then we stay with them. You know, and get ten roughs up in there. I know that if you if you do this instead of Voyager, you can't really put ten roughs in it. Now, if you do it instead of Enterprise, you can, right? Uh, you get Gracie Whitney, you get anybody back. Uh, Walter Koenig, you know, he was doing great work on Babylon Five at the time. That's probably his best role, uh, as as Bester, the telepath, um, recurring role several seasons on B Five. He 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 was great on that. Would he be interested in coming back to Star Trek? Maybe being um, Sulu's first officer, you know, 
Uh, it'd been, <laughs> I, guess, he, I guess he was the first officer of the Reliant, and then after everything happened with Star Trek II, he just got bumped back down to the, uh, uh, doing sit, sitting there at the, the navigator station <laughs> on, on the Enterprise A. But um, yeah, that would be my ideal Star Trek show because then you feel in, it's this perfect like lost years of Star Trek. You have guest appearances right by by Leonard Nimoy as Spock or you know Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, right? Uh, you get to see other characters. Uh, you, you get to see first contact with the Cardassians. You get to see all all these things. Uh, that see that that is my like ultimate what if I would have wanted that to happen. Star Trek show, Star Trek Excelsior with uh, Captain Sulu. Yeah, but that's not an option anymore. So if you really want me to pitch something, uh, <laughs> I um, it's tough now because I, I don't know where it's like. You pitch something that you know might happen or what you really want to happen and um i don't know for uh let me think about this i uh the other i mean the other option i go to and i know the old uh standard rubber crew drew and mike were always talking about this the john show excelsior show i know like i know i'm going back to that that idea but uh assuming there was no discovery or anything anymore and, and, the, and the kelvin timeline was like the de facto new universe I would love to see a John Cho Excelsior show. I know I come back to that, but I, I feel like it would uh, talk about representation, right? An Asian captain, you know? Uh, we have that now with Captain Georgiou. But uh, Michelle Yeoh, short-lived, though. Spoilers, I guess, but she's back. More spoilers. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all that to say, uh, I know there was that there was that uh, trending um, uh, social media uh, thing I don't know, what do you call it? A thing? Call it a movement? Call it a, a trend? I don't know what you call it. But there was a trend on social media for a while. They're like starring John Cho, hashtag starring John Cho, and they replaced you know all these <laughs> movie posters and stuff like you know Matt Damon, whoever, with John Cho. And I agree, John Cho's a great actor. I'd love to see more stuff. I think like, I feel like he could uh, he could um, carry a TV show, you know. And then you get whoever else from the Kelvin timeline, you know, maybe um, you know Alice Eve, you know, if she wants to be. Dr. Carol Marcus, she can be one of the characters on, on the Excelsior. And then, and then, and then the Kelvin timeline is such a blank slate. You know, we only have the three movies of a true canon. So you get to see a updated Excelsior and the Kelvin timeline. Of course, all the timelines moved up a little bit, but everything in the, and that has everything in the Kelvin timeline has moved up a bit. I mean, we're still pre, you know, TOS uh, in those movies, as far as the actual calendar years go. So yeah, that's going to be my answer there. Excelsior again, uh, John show TV show. He's proven to be a capable actor, a capable lead. Just fill around him with some interesting characters. Let's get Mr. Kyle in there. Let's get, you know, uh, Riley. And all these all these names, that Dr. Mbinga, right? All these names that you know from TOS that we haven't seen in the Kelvin movies. Just put them in there. You know, you got to be... And then and they're really blank slates as characters, right? All these guys I just mentioned were in a handful of episodes tops. Like two each for Riley and Mbinga. And then Mr. Kyle is just a background character. He made a cameo in Star Trek Two. So you get... Get Ilea, uh, get Savick, you know, whoever, right? Just just recognizable names. That's what we want, right? Star Trek fans. So just plug plug these characters in. Um and I, I would love to see to see that. Because I don't know where does the Kelvin timeline go from here? Right? It, because they're not gonna go into movies, it's gonna be Discovery and, and shows of that ilk. So are we are we you know, is that ever gonna get I mean, hopefully we'll get a Star Trek four. Um if we don't, is it over? Are there other app avenues? So, so there, there you have it. For like uh, idealized, what if I would have loved to see Excelsior show set, you know, in, in the prime timeline with George Decay. And again, they had all the props, they had the models, they had everything. Ah, oh, it was so easy. I don't know why they didn't do it uh, <laughs> back then. 
But uh, that would have been ideal. But realistic current day now, give me John Show, Excelsior Show. Uh, that's what I would really like to see. So hopefully that answers your question there, Tim. Um, and yeah, I'd be. What, what would you like to see? You know, I'll, I'll turn it around on you. If uh, if if you had to pitch a, uh, and I'll I'll do that for all y'all, all y'all who ask me questions, <laughs> I will ask you the same questions because obviously, if I feel like if you ask me, you have your own take. Uh, on that question and had an idea of, of what you would say to it. So please, uh, if you can comment on the last uh, post in the Bible conference, go ahead and comment on the new one and let me know, uh, let me know what, uh, what your answers to that would be. So our next question comes uh, from uh, Justin Oser, host of Earl Grey. And he's been on, uh, he's been on uh, standard before as well as has Tony Black. So, and uh, he, he's being the Trek novel. So I, I understand uh, why he's asking this question. If you've read some of the novels, what is your favorite TOS novel? And also who's your favorite TOS guest star? Great questions there, Justin. Um, so by far my favorite TOS, and I've read quite a few TOS novels over the years, uh, a fraction of what you have, Justin, you're, <laughs> I think you read a book a week or whatever. So, so, Credit to you, my friend. But uh, the Crucible trilogy came out in uh, 06 for the 40th anniversary. Uh, David R. George III is the author. This is my favorite uh, Star Trek trilogy of novels. Uh, it centers around the events of City on the Edge of Forever. There's three books. Uh, it's McCoy, Providence of Shadows, uh, Spock, Fire in the Rose, and Kirk's The Star to Every Wandering. And uh, it it basically, the, the and they released them in the McCoy, Spock, then Kirk in that order. And uh, the McCoy book is interesting because it, it takes place over two time periods it, or timelines. Like uh, you see M- McCoy's life after City of Legend Forever all the way up to his uh, uh, his 24th century life, as we see in Next Gen. Uh, you know, it's it skips several years and whatnot, but we get a you know flyover of his life. And then uh, the other timeline is him in the 30s, uh, having saved. You know, if Kirk and Spock had not come back and saved him, you know, as the timeline existed. It's kind of like a like a like a time echo, all right? Uh, like they do on the Flash, <laughs> I guess a time remnant, <laughs> something like that. Uh, the Flash TV show talks about those, you know, dead timelines and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, this is McCoy uh, having saved Edith Keeler. You know, uh, America loses World War II, uh, and he's stuck in that timeline. He can just imagine, like, God, that'd be terrible to know that, because he eventually realizes, you know, what's happened. And he, you know, he puts out ads in the paper trying to help Kirk and Spock find him, but 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 you know that he's not going to be found in that in that timeline. He does find he does find some happiness there though, so it's not a complete tragedy. But at the same time, uh, it's 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 sad, you know, because he's 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 stuck there and he's never going to get back to his his life in the twenty third century. Now, um, Spock's book uh, again covers you know the City of Legend Forever. City of Legend Forever is is the well, it's the crucible, right? That moment where they the, they let have to let Edith Killer die. That's that's the the titular crucible um, of all their lives, and everything kind of comes back to that. And we see you know their 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 time. Uh, Spock's and Kirk's books, you know, um, because they didn't have that alternate timeline. We just really delve into their time in the '30s. You know, um, Spock's time there, Kirk's time there, especially Kirk's time there because his really, his romance with Edith Keeler is really fleshed out and it really helps out the episode because you know it was it was an episodic TV show in the '60s, so it didn't really. Um, you didn't really get the depth that you would, you know, on a show like today uh, with the time and have the time for it. But I think they really um, flesh it out well. And the Spock's book is really about um, that, dealing with Kirk's death and generations, um, just coming to terms with that, his relationship with his, his father and his parents, so specifically his father. 
And then Kirk's book is um, actually very interesting framing advice as far as the modern day Kirk uh, story, modern day, but you know, the, the quote unquote present, because there's the past of the episode and the modern day uh, Kirk story. It's, it's his death in generations and how that wasn't really a death and how he had a whole grand adventure um, in between there with the, using the Nexus and the guardian. It, it, it's great. And, uh, and there was going to be more, um, there was going to be like more short stories and release this as an omnibus, but, um, it was going to be published a few years after. Uh, but, uh, uh, David R. George completed all, all the work, but the book was, the book had been, uh, had been canceled. So hopefully one day we, we see the, uh, those those new short stories because they were going to release they're going to release them all you know as a uh, as one volume but uh, with new short stories in between like uh, prologues and epilogues to each to each original novel and I've been very fascinated to see that because I'm sure there've been some great ideas in there uh, so anyway that that's uh, I really really into depth there but that that is my that's my favorite uh, TOS novel uh, anyway I love all the AC Christmas stuff um, yesterday's sun uh, time for yesterday ties into all our yesterdays. Uh, really like those uh Seric recently I uh yeah I think there was a uh Justin were you on that uh <laughs> literary trek so they talked about Seric I think he might have been uh that I think about it. we had some we had we're talking about it on the uh on the, on the Babel conference but uh yeah the um the, the AC Christian really has a great understanding of Vulcans and and uh and, and, and all that you know Strangers from the Sky is really good um as well as uh see what's the other one and oh uh Enterprise the First Adventure also very good. Uh, and then um, a lot of the, you know, the novelizations for the movies as well. I really like, especially Star Trek III's novelization. Of course, as, as everybody who listens to Stan Roberts knows that uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek III. It's my favorite Star Trek movie. And Vaughn and McIntyre's uh, novelization that really fleshes a lot of things out. And uh, I enjoy that as well. Also, and, and I'll say this, uh, William Shatner's books. I know they're not TOS per se, but um, I really enjoy his, his books, especially his Mirror Universe books, uh, like Spectre, and um, uh, Dark Victory, and uh, you know that, that whole trilogy he wrote on the American. He usually does trilogies for his books, so I really enjoyed those too. So, so there's a little taste of my Star Trek novel preferences. Um, so check out all those books. You have my recommendation. As far as your second question, uh, who's your TOS uh, favorite TOS guest star? You got to go with Ricardo Montalban. You know you have to. <laughs> like uh, he, not only was he the guy that even if it wasn't for Star Trek Two, right? He, he, of course, he's the guy they brought back from first Trek 2, but even if he wasn't, he's the most dynamic, magnetic, just uh, charismatic guy on the show. Uh, and you can see why Harv Bennett zeroed in, like, oh, that's the guy. We need to come back to this character. Uh, he has such a presence and an air about him, you know, and um, just, just, and then it's hard to separate, you know, obviously I know Ricardo Montalban's work outside of Star Trek and, and legacy he has an actor and, and a human being, too. Great guy, but... Uh, just focusing on that one episode, that one performance, I would have done the same thing if I were sitting there screening every episode uh, in that room where Harvey Bennett was. I would have picked, you know what, this is the guy we need to come back to. There's an interesting, there's a lot to this guy. You know, there's a lot to this performance, too. Not just the character, but, you know, a lot of times you can have a great actor and like, eh, you know, he did what he could, but the writing wasn't really there. But uh, with Colonel Montalbanus Khan, it's like, no, the, the the writing is here, the performance is here, the character is here, This is this is great. And he, he, he's got to be the slam dunk number one uh, TOS guest star for me. So, All right, then Lance Laster. Lance, Lance is my best friend. Uh, some of y'all might have met him at Star Trek Las Vegas. We went there uh, with my dad back in, uh, back in 2016. Wow. <laughs> but uh, he asked, uh, not sure if you've read them. 
What are your thoughts on Star Trek Green Lantern and the Star Trek X-Men books? Uh, I'll tell you this. I have not read Star Trek Green Lantern. I am interested to do so, though, because I do. I really do enjoy the IDW comics. I usually, I don't read them um, issue by issue, but uh, usually whenever uh, my local comic book shops have, like, big, you know, they have big sales every, about every quarter they have a big sale. You know, like, 40% off graphic novels. I'll pick up the Star Trek IDW collections, the graphic novels. Um, I think I have about 10 or 11 of them so far. Um... I think I think I'm coming up on on the Green Lantern ones. I think they're collected by now, uh, so I definitely want to check those out. That that crosses over, um, obviously the DC Comics characters, Green Lanterns, uh, and the the Kelvin timeline crew. So I'd be very interested to check those out. So I'll, I'll Lance should be the first to know <laughs> when, when I get those, or you know, hey, br- my birthday's coming up pretty soon, so ideas there, right? As for Star Trek X Men, I I remember seeing those books when I was a kid, like actual novels. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and I still hold to that. Uh, it's especially funny when you consider that uh, uh, Picard uh, and Professor X are both played by Patrick Stewart <laughs> in live action. So uh, I wonder if there's some kind of meta end joke there. I'm not sure exactly when those books were published, but uh, uh, if they were, if they were, you know, anything came out after 2000, I'm sure somebody snuck in something there. So that's, um, that's my take on those. I, I, I really think that's odd, honestly, when you mix together properties like that. Like, I, uh, I mean, uh, th- that seems to be uh, the thing to do nowadays. Like Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, or, you know, uh, Star Trek, Doctor Who, and uh, Batman, Ninja Turtles, right? It's like, well, these, these things exist in their own universe for a reason. That's why I, I don't really ever care to see a Star Trek, Star Wars crossover. I really don't. I, um... I'll leave that to the to the fan fiction, but uh, which which by the way, somebody asked me about fan fiction later on, so we'll, we'll I can kind of talk about that. So thanks, Lance. Uh, but yes, I want Star Trek Green Lantern graphic novels uh, for my <laughs> for my birthday. Put that on the list. Thanks, man. So uh, Corey Elrod asks, which TOS episode, in your opinion, best sums up the spirit of Star Trek as a whole? I thought about this, and I I did put some thought into these uh, questions before I answered them. And, uh, Corey, I, I would have to go with Arena. Um, I feel like if, like, you know, City on the Edge of Forever is great. Um, the Mock Time, where no man has gone before, those are all great. Uh, but if I had to, and those are, like, my top three, and I think my top, my fourth, and I'm thinking about my top ten of episodes here, right? Uh, number four would probably be Arena. And I was like, if you had to show someone one episode of Star Trek to let them understand what it's all about and have all the characters and the tropes of the show, like where it's all, you know, because City Manager Forever, it's great, but it's it's it, it's an it's an excellent hour of television as an excellent representation of Star Trek, like a Star Trek story, not necessarily. It could be a Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or something, right? You don't have, it doesn't have to be Star Trek characters there. With uh, a mock time, sorry, personal story with Spock. Like, if you don't have the investment in Spock and then Spock and Kirk's friendship and all that, don't know if that episode still hits you the same way. Uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, I think it's great. I think it has everything you need in Star Trek, but there is no McCoy, and it's a little different than the rest of the show as far as some of the characters go and whatnot. So I wouldn't necessarily show that someone that first, I guess, because they, they'd have an expectation of what the show's going to be, and it looks very different. Um I'm kind of I'm kind of answering a question from a different angle, but uh, so but that that comes all and 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 again that's why I understand why NBC didn't show it first, even though I think they probably should have, and we've we've talked about that many times in the past on Standard Orbit. But uh, I think uh, Arena, you know, you, it uh, it sums up, you know, you have an you have an attack, you want to go after who attacks you for revenge, you gradually understand there was a misunderstanding there. Um, you also have to use uh, your wits and your technology 
to uh, and your knowledge, you know, to overcome the situation, and then ultimately show mercy to your attacker and to your opponent. And uh, so all those bullet points there. And I guess now that they talk about that, it sounds kind of like Into Darkness, right? So <laughs> uh, it's all in the execution, folks. But yeah, that I would, I feel like Arena would best sum up the spirit of Star Trek because I mean, you're out there, you're you're in space, you're adventuring, you're gonna have you're gonna have action adventure, but you're also gonna have you know deep moral decisions to make, you know, hard hard decisions to make, um, and uh, and it's okay to initially make the wrong decision. Like Kirk wants to go after these guys and attack them and kill them, but. You know, as, you know, as long as you, as long as by the, by the time it's all said and done, you make the right decision. That's what matters. Uh, and uh, I think you know that's 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 a big point of Star Trek. So yeah, I, I believe it's been called the Citizen Kane of Star Trek, and I, I would I would agree with that. Arena is one of the best uh, representations of, of what Star Trek is all about, and that that, uh, that that to me that is why I would say it, it's it sums up the spirit of Star Trek. So, all right, my friend Jimmy Goss says, uh, if I made you go cosplay at a Trek convention as as Gorgon and full shimmering Moo Moo repeatedly quoting so shall you do so shall you do and death to you all how much would I have to pay you well I uh <laughs> you know if you're gonna pay me I shouldn't say that I, I really wouldn't mind because then I won't like get as, get as much money but I uh I, I uh we can discuss uh we can discuss terms um, off microphone, but I, uh, that's a silly question. He was just messing around. He asked me a serious question later, but I will say, uh, that would be a lot of fun and a lot easier than people think. I literally, all I have to do is get uh, like a, a shower curtain or, or, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe paint it silver with some shiny stuff and, uh, put some gray in my hair and just walk around. I think people will get a kick out of that. That, that would actually get a lot more, you know, if, it, I think you get a lot more reaction at a convention walking around like that and you want to just another star, Starfleet uniform or something. So I'll have to think about that for my next cosplay, Jimmy. Um, then he asked me a, a like a a real question. Uh, <laughs> what do you consider the most overrated or overly beloved episodes, and the most underrated or overlooked episodes? Top three of each. Wow. So I I, I put some thought into this before uh, before recording here, and it, it's it's uh, uh the most underrated or overlooked. That's an easier conversation than than the uh, reverse. So. Uh, uh, yeah, it's tough, you know, because no matter what you say, especially for the, the overrated or overly beloved, which is a you know what a, what a it's a very relative term, but uh, I uh, that's tough. So I'll start with the underrated. So it's so underrated. We talked about this before just recently. Uh, what are the little girls made of? Uh, written by Robert Block. Me and uh, Brandon Shamatella are going to do a commentary on that to close out our Robert Block uh, trilogy of commentaries. Uh, I think that's an amazing episode. It really asks you a lot of questions about identity and. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it's, there are a lot of people, like, it seems, I, I haven't watched The Black Mirror. I'm going to get into it, uh, especially now with this, this USS Callister episode everybody's talking about. And I love The Twilight Zone, and people are, I guess, the new modern Twilight Zone. And I'm like, all right, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I'm going to check it out. But it seems to me like this would be, this would fit right in with The Black Mirror from what I have understand about the stories and stuff they've been telling, you know, stuff like, you know, transferring consciousness and, and, and oh, no, you're the computer, you know, and all, all this crazy stuff. Um, I, I just, I really, I really like it. Now, uh, some of the, <laughs> the special effects are leave a little to be desired. Uh, the cave is a little fake. There's a lot of memes about that. Also, uh, this is how you make an android, a, a silly putty green uh, blob. Uh, and you spin around real fast, so, and you just push three buttons and turn a knob. Uh, you look, you look pa- much like with T-Wedge, you look past all that, you look at the, the, the deeper story, and it's just, it's really creepy, you know, it's a really creepy and unsettling story, it sticks with you afterward, you're like, okay, well, well, what happened there, like, like where where did we lose our humanity in this process, and and you gotta love Sherry Jackson as Andrea, uh, my biggest TOS crush, I mean, little, literally, like, the most beautiful woman in Star Trek, like, w- what is your number one Star Trek babe? Sherry Jackson, all right, we don't, you know, we don't do all that stuff out here, but I just, I just gotta say, like, <laughs> 
the most beautiful woman in Star Trek, Sherry Jackson's Andrea. And the outfit doesn't hurt either, right? Uh, also, Ted Cassidy is Ruck. Very cool. Uh, he's a really, I mean, they, they make him out to be this very intimidating looking guy. But he's wearing like this kind of goofy costume, but but it doesn't matter. The, the juxtaposition of what this tough giant guy, but he's wearing like what's like like a dress robe <laughs> looking thing uh, is interesting. And of course, he has you know amazing voice. Uh, he voiced the Gorn in Arena. Uh, as uh, as well. I was just talking about Arena, he did the voice there. He still the voice of Balok. So uh, a great a great uh, guest cast. And you know this is the really the first episode that features uh, Christine Chapel as well. So um, in a big way, you know, Naked Time was a couple scenes, but. Uh, Anyway, that, that's that's number one. No, no, number two, um, unrated. I, you know what? I I don't know if this counts and what we're talking about here. I love the Omega Glory. It's one of my favorite episodes. It has the most one of the most rewatchability uh, factor to me. Very high rewatchability factor. Uh, I think you get another Starfleet ship. You get a yeah, another captain. I think Captain Tracy Morgan Woodward, another great guest star on TOS. Like seriously, if it wasn't um, Justin, you know, if it wasn't Ricardo Montalban, uh, I would probably say Morgan Woodward just for his two performances. Uh, especially the one as Captain Tracy here. He was great. He's a real match for Kirk. Uh, yes, it's Parallel Earth and all that again, but I don't, uh, I'm not going to fault it for, for that. I understand that the metaphor, yeah, them having the exact, uh, the most unbelievable thing is not necessarily the planet exists, but the fact that Kirk knows the uh, <laughs> Constitution of the United States off the top of his head. Uh, but I really like that episode. It's got action. It's it's got locations. Um, love seeing, like I said, I love seeing another Constitution class ship in the show. So I, I think that's really underrated. I don't get why people hate it so much. I, I really don't. So I'm going to say it. that's underrated. And then uh, I'm going to go with Requiem for Methuselah. Methuselah. Beth, Beth, <laughs> Requiem. Uh, say that three times fast. Requiem for Methuselah. Requiem for Methuselah. Requiem for Methuselah. See, you can do it. I just did it. Um, very underrated episode. Uh, you know, it's a lost gem in the, in the third season. Uh, yes, Kirk's acts a little out of character, but I'm just going to chalk that up to the Rigelium fever that the crew is suffering at that time. Uh, so there you have it. I know, you know, and, and, and strangely enough, another thing with like androids and, and, uh, it's a recurring theme and, and TOS and, and, you know, all of Star Trek, especially with TNG with data. And, you know, maybe that's why data is my favorite character of all Star Trek really. And so maybe that's why I gravitate to these android episodes. The character Flint, very fascinating, uh, character there. Uh, it's, uh, to, to think this one guy, uh, shaped history so much. Right, uh, and uh, and and also, you know, and another thing about this one is is because no one ever talks about it or whatever. I didn't see this episode till till much later. I call it much later in life, but when the Sci-Fi Channel's to me, it's much later, right? So the Sci-Fi Channel special editions were coming out. You know, I was like twelve, and I'd seen most of these episodes, and I was like, you know, six or seven. So it's a uh, it's half my life later at that at that point, right? So that, I mean, this episode, like I said, came out of nowhere for me, and uh, and, and really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, 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 they they. Uh, again, the the Kirk thing might be a little weak in that episode, but other than that, and we're going to talk about where Kirk from Methuselah down the road here more in depth. Uh, but the uh, that is the weakest point. Uh, but again, fanboy justification. He's suffering the effects of the Julian fever, even if he's not diagnosed. So that's and you know if if a guy like Flint creates the perfect woman, you know, and who knows what kind of pheromones he's got going on there. I don't know. He's been doing experiments forever. So so you know that would that would hit Kirk like a ton of bricks and. And there you have it. So I, uh, I, I think those those three. So those are my three uh, most underrated episodes of TOS. What are the old girls made of? The Omega Glory. And Requiem for Methuselah. Now, the tough one, Jimmy. The uh, overrated or overly beloved episodes. I, uh, it's tough because, you know, most of the ones that people love, I love. So I, uh, but, you know, I got to give an answer here. So... You know, I, I I had to like look at a look at an episode list here and, and really decide. And, and you know, first of all, the uh, I got to go with the the mud episodes. 
Um, can I just say Mud's woman and I Mud? <laughs> I'm just gonna that, that makes it really easy for me. I'm not a big fan of the character. Um, like we were talking about, you know, not too long ago, me and Kim were talking about if they're gonna have a third Mud episode. Uh, uh, maybe maybe it's the comedy. You know, it doesn't date well. I I just the character's goofy. Like I I never I never much cared for Harry Mud and. Um, uh, well, so there you go. See, there's Androids and I Mud, and, and I'm not saying I love that one. So, uh, so who knows what? Who knows why I think what I think? But yeah, Mud's women and I Mud. Uh, I do not get the. I mean, he's like the Q of TOS. Be like, oh, I love every Q episode. I love every Harry Mud episode. Yeah, I don't really love those Mud episodes. So, I'm I'm gonna say those two are. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass on both of those. Um, as far as anything else, you know, um, I. I, I can't really. I mean, all these episodes that people love, I, I love them too. I mean, if I had to, if I had to pick one, um, another one that I, that I could think of that maybe people talk about, or I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Day of the Dove, you know. Other than um, Mike Lansara's, you know, Kang, I, there's not. I don't really don't. I'm not really gravitate towards that episode. It's when all these other ones like, oh no, we're taken over by a mysterious force and we have to fight, and uh, it's like, yeah, you guys have done that before a lot. Um, so Day of the Dove, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike it, but I know a lot of people are like, yeah, it's one of the five good episodes of the third season. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. There, there's, there's more. First of all, there's more than five episodes in the third season, and and that one isn't even isn't even in my top five of third season. So I don't know. That might be controversial. Uh, you guys, let me know what you think about Day of the Dove. But I'm gonna go with uh, Mud's Woman, I Mud, and Day of the Dove. Those are, if I had, if I had to pick <laughs> my top three. Most overly beloved or overrated episodes, those would be the ones. So, so uh, Ken Tripp, you might know him as my regular co-host here on Standard Orbit, uh, has this to say. Uh, <laughs> you ever been to a Turkish prison? Do you like gladiator movies? <laughs> These are, of course, airplane references. Thank you, Ken. Uh, what element, have you ever been to, you like the smell of men's locker rooms? Uh, what element of a Tarantino film would you like to see in his Star Trek movie? Uh, I would like to just to see very clever and engaging writing you know because because in, in tarantino like that's his bread and butter right like two people sitting having a conversation and that's why i think he's a great fit for star trek because you know uh, what what do we love about star trek we love the character interplay we love the great uh, high concept issues people discuss so i feel like uh if you get if you get a scene with like you know four guys around the conference room table or or whatever right he can make that compelling. He can make that, you know, he's going to draw you in. That that scene could be, you know, it could be 10 minutes long and you're not checking your watch. You know, that's what I'm looking for. And and I love the Kelvin Timeline movies, uh, mostly. But this would be a, a, this would be less, let's try to be a big blockbuster like Star Wars, like they're doing, and more like, let's delve into these characters and these issues and these conversations. You know, that's what TOS is more about than anything else. So that is what I would, I would uh, like to see uh, in a Star Trek movie. Now, <laughs> Uh, conversely, what I what I I would least like to see, uh, an element of his films in a Star Trek movie would be just the the gore, right? The violence, the gratuity, um, violence wise or sex wise or anything like that. Because you know, I still think Star Trek. I I, would, I mean, it's gonna be rated R, right? But uh, I, I you can have a rated R film, but but not necessarily just be completely over the top with so much stuff. And I feel like he really enjoys doing that. Uh, and that's that's the reason I wasn't the biggest fan of the Hateful Eight. Honestly, that was his most recent movie. I didn't particularly care for it. Um, and and then the the, the gratuity really, and, and like I said, in, in all those areas, is kind of what set me off to it. You know, put me off on it. So I that's something I love. I love his writing, his conversation, his engaging characters, and the interplay between them. 
do not love the gratuitous violence and also sex in some areas too. So we can like tone that down, please. Uh, when we do Star Trek, because you know it's it's a movie I want to sit with my kids one day and watch. So, so thank you, Ken. Uh, so then, uh, Brent Williams, the second, asked me, "Is Star Trek a military organization?" And of course, Tim Hans, <laughs> Tim Hans immediately responds, "Starfleet is a humanitarian and peacekeeping armada." And so you know, Ken and uh, Ken and Tim and uh, uh, and Brent kind of all go all go back and forth here and. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, was it was it Tim that said yeah yeah Rod, um, Tim mentions that Ronbury uh, saw Starfleet more like the Coast Guard than the than the military navy, and uh, Ken says never tell the Coast Guard they're not military, <laughs> they think they are and so do I and I would agree, uh, and then uh, Jimmy uh, Jim chimes in again Jimmy uh, goes from before he says the NASA space shuttle didn't have phasers and photons torpedoes so <laughs> you know that's that is tough um, I, I I really and that's why I, I jokingly and that is Brent is asking is Starfleet a military organization because Ken and I always find ourselves going on some fun tangent about it uh, poking fun at each other uh, during the show but uh, yeah I uh, I, I think Pike's response I, I think his definition of Starfleet is, is great it's a, it's a humanitarian peacekeeping armada that is so vague but also such a big umbrella that it covers a lot and uh, Nick Meyer certainly sees it as a military organization. I think like Martin Roddenberry back in the '60s saw it more as a military organization. But then it's his whole kind of mindset and worldview shifted to the '80s. You know, it was more, uh, it was less military, more explorers, and and um, but you, you know, you have ranks, you have captains, you have court martials, right? You have JAG officers, you know. So I mean, so many trappings of of the military there, Navy ships and all, midshipmen and and all that stuff. Uh, there's an academy you go to, so. Uh, that that is that is one of those questions that will always be debated in Star Trek. Uh, but thank you for thank you for bringing us stirring up that hornet's nest, Brandon. And of course, I love to hear else what else I have to say about it. Um, and then uh, Ben Greet asked me, uh, "Have you ever read written TOS fan fiction? If so, what is it about?" Uh, and this is his second question. He he asked me about Brandon Circuses earlier. So thanks for thanks for another question there, Ben. I um. I've never I've never written Star Trek fan fiction, uh, and I've I've you know now that I think about it I don't think I've ever read Star Trek fan fiction either. I uh, I've read a lot of Star Wars fan fiction back in the day. Um, the Force dot net I don't know if how, I don't know how much crossover there is here with uh, Star Trek and Star Wars fans, but uh, on the Force dot net uh, was like the number one Star Wars site to go to as when the prequel era. They had an amazing fan fiction section. I used to literally used to print out the fan fiction. I still have the binder around here somewhere <laughs> of uh, of Star Wars fan fiction, uh, mainly mainly prequel stuff. You know, connecting the dots between it's like post episode one, pre episode uh, four. You know, so there's so it was such it was such a blank slate back then. You know, people just went to town on that stuff, and um, yeah, that that's that that's really all I have to say about fan fiction. That's uh, I, I you know haven't really have you? Is there any fan fiction you recommend? I just uh, I haven't really. I mean, because there's so there's so much. I think I think that's the reason because you know. Okay, let me frame it this way. You know, Lucas put the prequel era off limits for all Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek, listen to me, for all Star Wars uh, expanding universe material because he wanted it to be a blank slate for when he did the prequels. You know, so there was nothing. There was literally nothing you could go read about then because he had said nope. Can't do it. I'm talking about it in the movies, so that's why I was like, "Oh man, there's fan people writing about this." this is why I ate it up so much. Uh, Star Trek. There's so much. There's books. There's video games. There's comic books. You know, there's so much else out there in addition to the 
episodes, which of there are you know legion of episodes too. Unlike Star Wars, where there you know there was only three or four movies at the time. Uh, when you have hundreds of Star Trek episodes, you don't feel the need. Oh, I need to go read more, 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 more. At least that's how I didn't feel that way. So I didn't go seek it out. I mean, I'm sure it's out there. Um, obviously, you you have an opinion on it if you ask me about it. So uh, there, there you go. I, I have I have not I have not read or written any TOS fan fiction. Sorry to disappoint you. Either been so. So Jeff Lubin uh, asked, "What episode moment do you think gave us the best glimpse of what makes Kirk tick? What kind of man he is?" I uh, thought about this one for a while too. This is this is a tough one. We have to pick one, you know, scene. I would I would go with Balance of Terror, the uh, the scene where he's talking to to Bones, questioning his own decisions, and uh, I think I think that's very it's a very powerful scene, and, it's, you know, that, and that's a big reason why that episode is is so well regarded because. It really shows Kirk as a leader, the weight of command. You know, he knows that he's going to make some big decisions, and it's okay to question yourself. You know, I, and I think self-analysis and self-awareness is a huge, um, it's a huge character trait, very important character trait for especially leaders. You know, if you're going to be a leader of people, you need to kind of see your decisions from all angles and uh, really ponder them and be, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm right? So I like the fact that Kirk will question himself if he if he feels like, well, I don't know what am I doing here? You know, I'm like. <laughs> Uh, so and then Bones is always you know his voice of reason. So that if I had to pick like you know one scene, you know as you ask, I uh, I would go with that one. And you know the whole episode itself too. It just shows off Kirk's leadership skills as a commander and whatnot. So uh, I uh, I would go with Balance of Terror specifically. That scene is, is immediately what I, what I kind of immediately thought of. And then thinking about it more, I was like, yep, I understand why my mind went there. All right, guys. Well, those are my answers to your questions. I thank you again for answering them all, and uh, you know, I put out the call, and you guys answered the call. So thank you so much. And uh, you know that 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 went on per- pretty decent amount. I tried to I tried to expand and elaborate on the answers as much as I could. Uh, didn't want to give you all a fifteen minute episode, so I think we've got a we got a standard length episode here. Standard length, standard orbit. So uh, okay, okay. This this whole uh, talking about the. Uh, See, it's you know when when you just when you're answering questions directed at you, and you have to share your opinions. Uh, it's easier to talk about than just coming up with a subject. So, uh, so if I had to do one of these again, and it wasn't just, here's Zach, here's some questions you can answer for me about yourself and your opinions. I, uh, <laughs> it would be a little more challenging, but I can, uh, you know, I like to talk, and I can do it. That's why I'm a podcaster. So, hopefully, uh, you guys found those um, answers satisfactory. And uh, and yeah, that's that's gonna do it for uh, for us this week on on Standard Orbit. And uh, I, I look forward to the feedback, to this feedback, to your feedback. It's we're in a feedback loop. Uh, but no, I, I look forward to that when the episode gets posted. And uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, th- thank you guys so much. And 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 again, like th- th- this kind of interaction is why we do podcasting. Ken and I both, you know, we always say like, you know, we we're nothing without the listeners, right? Without the contributors. And and you know, we, we could we would love to get together and talk about Star Trek, you know, whenever. But just knowing that other people out there, they're listening, they're enjoying what we have to say, they're invested in our answers, and respect our opinions. Right? For some reason, <laughs> at least I at least I like to think you do respect our opinions. But uh, anyway, it's it's uh, it makes it all worthwhile, guys. So uh, thank you so much for uh, for contributing to the conversation, and uh, we'll see you out there again. Well, we'll you know we're gonna have to have an ask Ken anything episode coming up here. Uh, give me a week off for, uh, and then he can he can answer your questions, and he can he can give his whole two cents on if uh, Starfleet is a military organization or not, because he's got a whole prepared speech, I'm sure, for that <laughs> kind of question. So answering your questions isn't the only thing going on on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Ready Room. There's no one else in the scene. And Marino was talking. It's like, we couldn't even get like five or six extras. They were siphoning all of our extras, our extras money 
was going to DS9 to put more aliens on the promenade. Now, yeah, all those extras were hanging out at Quarks. <laughs> that's right. Because they knew, they knew, don't go to a Hutch Hutchinson party. <laughs> Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. When I was a projectionist, I, I literally had a masking taped X on the bottom of my seat. And then when the seats were taken out and replaced with, you know, new and improved seats, I was like, can I get that seat right there? So I do now have that seat in my living room right over there. You live with a very patient woman, Mike. Warp 5. So I'm guessing that a lot of the interactions were probably about 50% fact and 50% dramatic license. So Okay, hold on a second. Are you telling me Hollywood's not reliable? You telling me I can't believe Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is is not real? Brandon. Really, that's where we go? Brandon, (laughs) we need to have a talk right now. Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. So that idea of nostalgia is very much describing people in the same situation as the Voyager crew. You know, they're far away from home. They're wanting to get home. It's that kind of homesick longing. But maybe that's one reason that that we see this kind of transition from in the early seasons, this nostalgia for this kind of idealised Earth that may or may not really exist anymore, to in the later seasons, the nostalgia is for the journey itself. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and of course in the Babel Conference. Type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit Patreon slash TrekFM, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM, you'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. Norman Lau, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet... Where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at Boston SCPO, and we uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as well as well as our colleagues. So, look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Moron Zach. That's M O O R E O N Z A C H. 
and I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Thank you.